Yeah, it's like, uh, uh, yeah, why does no one want to live in the town of dead people? Yeah. Uh, the town of smoky cough. You know, I still have friends who are like, I don't understand why people don't want to live in LA right now. And I'm like, y'all had to get rid of the fucking limit on air pollution because you were burning so many bodies. So like, I think that's a good start. That's a good place <laughs> to start that conversation, I think. Yeah, I mean, you guys aren't burning any bodies in Austin. You guys have a... Uh, we're we're widening the gap. Yeah. Well, we to be fair, we have like lakes full of animals. So <laughs> that's what we do. Um, yeah, we got yeah. the gators of Brazos Bend that we just like dump a dump trucks into. I mean, every day I, I, I open the door and I scream, why am I here? <laughs> and then someone looks at you from across the street and shrugs. <laughs> and throws then a little a glass the, bottle at me. There's a glass bottle on the Curb Your Enthusiasm song plays. <laughs> Yeah, it's a terrible town. Like LA was a bad town always. And the only thing, the only reason to be in LA was because it's like the place where you could get a job. Um, and also there was like other people there doing comedy. And now everyone is like gone and every single theater is like being turned into a Pinkberry, uh, <laughs> which is kind of awesome. Like I literally think this year I'm going to get to watch both of my theaters be demolished, which is <laughs> like, it's like, it's like already spiritually the career was feeling over, but like it is literally going to be ripped from the ground, um, well, which I think is cool. At least unlike a lot of the people who are you, you had the benefit of sort of being the kind of person who you never like invest in those theaters the way that like other folks do, where they're like, this is my family. <laughs> and this is like <laughs> the most important building in my life. Um, no, to me, the, to me, they were all a, a series of untrustworthy cousins. Yeah, exactly. Like you treated. Yeah, exactly. Like to you, it was cousins to a lot of people. It's like a nuclear family. And you, you like, can, you are good on internet. And I think there's like a lot of people who were like, what am I going to do without the special building where I go and talk to the only people who can stand to hang out with me at all? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Much Michael. I'm like the kids in Wally's Wonderland. I'm pouring gasoline on the outside. Yeah, exactly. Uh, whereas, you know, you're certain certain performers at various theaters are more like the animatronics. Um, <laughs> so I think that you, you know, it's it's rough, but it could be a lot worse. Um, mm -hmm. Man, oh man, what a can I tell? I know you don't care about Blood Bowl, but I just got to tell you one quick Blood Bowl thing because I am right now fucking. I'm on the run of my life right now. I Hell yeah, four game winning streak, and I've outscored my opponents eleven to nothing. And in a game where most games end one nothing or two to one, that's outrageous. I'm unstoppable. How much of it is luck? Like how much of it is like the roll uh, heart of the cards? It's like. <sighs> 60 40 strategy i think like okay. yesterday i think i i decidedly outplayed the dude that i played against but i don't think i outplayed him for nothing i think at least two of the touchdowns i got were like purely luck one was 100 mm -hmm. purely luck because it was like my kickoff bonus was i get a free turn before he gets to go i stole the ball his first block was a failure and a turnover and i just walked into the end zone like i didn't have to do anything <laughs> Nice. Um, so that was luck. There are other ones that were like, definitely, oh, I did a strategy and it worked. But like mm -hmm. it, you don't go 11, you don't score, outscore people 11, nothing over the course of four games without like a lot of lucky dice. Is that a game that would be good for streaming? Like would people stream that game? I think that, I mean, Hunter, Hunter and Frank were trying to do this before kind of, it kind of fell apart just because like it just didn't come together all the way. But I think that if you had people who were funny kind of talking over it and doing the commentary, that game would be pretty mm. good for streaming. Or mm -hmm. if your fans like to watch you lose your fucking mind, having you play and react as you play against someone would also probably be good to stream because I don't get 
I rarely get mad at video games, but I will scream at Blood Bowl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I will yeah. lose my damn mind. If I roll like three ones in a row, I will like storm out of the room and like go chain smoke cigarettes and yell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the weird thing is when I'm streaming, people like don't like people are like, oh, no, he's like really angry. And it's like, no, I'm just like being performatively angry. And they're like, are you OK? Like, but they're like. But they want me to they want me to be angry about the news. They don't want me to be angry about video games. Yeah, that's that's strange to me, sort of, because it's like you can't live if you're always angry about everything in the news that should make you angry because you go (laughs) insane. But getting angry at video games is like a good way to get some emotional tension out. Yeah, um, exactly. And so it's, it's very backwards. They don't they're let me this will come as a shock to you, but I think that maybe your Twitch chat, not great therapists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what? You know what we should go into like a, like a, a gamer product a niche product that I don't think has been monopolized yet. We should create the Game Boy's drywall for rage punching. Oh, just like a port, like sort of like a like a two sort of drywall. frames with a piece of drywall it's, in the middle. You can just like stand up. It sits right next to you, and instead of damaging your real walls, you you, you have to punch a drywall somewhere, though, right? Yeah. And so you have a little punching one, and it's um it's like a delivery service where you get a fresh wall each month. Right, and you you get we the, you pay for like the two Wait, metal this is stands. Great. That the walls slot in and out of. Yeah, exactly. That's the part that you get as like, you know, we, we give that to you for free. You know, right. that's the, and then you, you get but we you, you what it, how much would a drywall cost? Drywall is not that uh, putting together a drywall is a little bit of a hassle, but I think you can just buy a slab of it for probably not that expensive. How much is a slab of drywall? Because this is this is a pretty uh, good idea. And immediately what comes to mind is. A like second bonus item they could get, which is like a screen, like a muffler, like a mm. like a thing to yell into mm. where like yes, you can get yes, the screams yes. out. But like your roommates or family or whatever aren't going to hear you just be like, fuck, we have a Bane mask for you. <laughs> it's, um, it's a so- Bane mask, two metal T-frames <laughs> and a monthly supply of drywall. That's the Game Boy's <laughs> subscription service. <laughs> the average price for drywall and sheetrock is $15 per four by eight panel, which is typically typical range of $12 to 20 per panel. Okay. So we profit off that. We say $25 a month. We send you a punchable drywall. Griffin, I think we have to delete this part of the podcast because okay, we yeah, could get yeah, yeah. rich. This is a great yeah. plan. This My episode friend, will be 25 minutes. Yeah, sorry <laughs> to cut the intro, but we just came up with a massive... Hold on, now I got to find out if GameWall.com... GameWall. <laughs> GameWall. What is... GameWall is an interactive installation for kids and teenagers. They... Nope. Edgeplane? No. Um, St- stupid, yeah, worthless. It doesn't look like GameWall.com's a website. Uh, Eduplane.com slash GameWall is, and honestly, the GameWall does look based, but it's not. It's not what we were talking about. Yeah, but GameWall.com is unregistered. It appears. All right, we're gonna get GameWall uh, get, right let me, now. Let me swing by GoDaddy. We're gonna swing by GoDaddy, um, and we are. Feeling Did like they ever try? They ever try a, a feminine version, Go Mommy, or anything? Did they ever try that for Mother's Day? That's too nice. Whoa, it's only ten bucks for a. Oh, what it says it is take. Oh, GameWall.org isn't someone. Someone's camping GameWall.com though. All right. Okay. So we have to. We have to. Uh, we've got some blackmail to do. Yeah. This <laughs> guy. I'll, I'll say this. This guy who's camping it. His profile picture. 
Uh, well, wait, they show you who camps them? It looks like it. Here, I'll, I'll put it in the chat. Oh, it looks, that's cool. He looks extremely blackmailable. Okay, perfect. What, dude, what if it was Salomar Z? Like dude, the second that would we be look for the game greatest wall. revenge of all time. But look at this dude. Okay. Like, we um, can get this guy. <laughs> yeah, what is this? Hmm, but he does seem like an entrepreneur. Hmm, yeah. okay. Well, we're we're going to have to do a Persona 5, like, uh, you know, change his heart. That's a good we're segue to, go to something I wanted to talk <laughs> about. So let's introduce the podcast and then talk about that. Um, welcome to Game Boys. Uh, duh, we've said the name like six times, but this is the show. It's a podcast about video games. I'm Lux. And I'm Griffin, and we're, of course, always joined by producer extraordinaire and gamer extreme, Haley. On the ones and twos. Yeah, Haley's, Haley makes us sound good. We say dumb shit. That's the nature of the podcast. Welcome if you haven't listened before. Um, but you mentioned Persona 5, and I've played enough Strikers that I'm ready to talk about it. Okay, um, finally. In a, in a sort Perfect. of semi serious way. Um, I am, I, yeah, I'm about 20 hours into it as well. Okay, I'm not. Um, so, I'm not that far. I'm mm-hmm. in Sendai on the second jail. Mm-hmm. I'm in. I'm in Sendai too, but I just stare at the screen longer. Okay, fair enough. Um, <laughs> but, but so um, my okay. So here's here's where I'm at with this game. There are things about it that I love that I think whip ass. There are things about it I do not like at all. Okay, but I think I'm gonna finish it. Um, Cause there's like, I'm like the world is the, the world of persona, especially persona five is just so fucking fun. Like yeah. the cell shaded style, the fucking music, the localization in this game is like a thousand times better than persona fives was. I totally agree. Yeah. yeah. It's wild. The dialogue scenes are like fun to watch as opposed to just being like terrible slogs where everyone repeats the same thing over and over again. Uh, there's still a lot of that. Like whenever someone's like, uh, thank you, Gramps, like six other characters have to also thank Gramps. Yeah, but at but, least that's like a bit because the guy hates yeah. being called Gramps. Oh, we're, mm-hmm. co- we're coffee boys today. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, we are. Um, yeah, I, I, I think I'm kind of in a similar place with you and I do want you to extrapolate more, but like, you know, this is not the genre that I like. Yeah. And everything that they're doing in the game is like an attempt to like make me like the genre and it is working, but it's like a tenuous tightrope walk where I'm like, uh oh, here comes the genre again that I don't like. And they're like, no, it's still fun. I promise there's elements and most of the persona stuff you like and the story's good. That makes you want to keep going through it. So it's like, oh, I'm like always right on the edge of not liking it. But then they pull me back in. Right. Because these Muso games, these Dynasty Warrior style games, I don't like that way of fighting. I... And it makes those confrontations not super fun for me, but and particularly the boss fights are awful to me. Ooh, I see. I really like the boss fights, oh, but, but I'll, I'll, I want to know why you don't so like them. what I liked about the boss fights in Persona 5 is that it was this really methodical and like tension heavy, like every choice had to be really precise and like you had to do the right things and you had to like make the right calculations of who does what and when to pass the baton and stuff. This game, it's really a lot of like dodge and smash, dodge and smash, dodge and smash, trigger your things, dodge and smash. Um, and that just doesn't it doesn't have the same tension. Um, and that sort of that sort of bums me out. Like it doesn't feel I, that yeah, different I, than the other fights. I am. I, um, I kind of see what you're saying, but but I also disagree because like the way that they, I think, do make the choices even early on in the fights and these bosses like feel meaningful is like the first time I fought the the end boss in world one, 
I wasn't killing her fast enough. And then she just started like nuking my teammates. And it's because I wasn't like doing the right steps to like crack down her health. And I was just kind of like mindlessly like hitting her and stuff as opposed to like going to the confetti cannon to stun her and then like getting some elemental stuff on her um, and, and really like making sure my moves early mattered and were meaningful and were doing meaningful damage to her in the right ways. Or I was going to get like one shot because she just is so strong. Yeah. And so like they, they do balance that a little bit. And I and I like I had to fight the boss like three times before I really like figured out how to get her down. And I thought it was a solid first boss in that sense yeah i think there's there's some of the, the problem is is not that that part is really cool to me i liked how you sort of had because it took me a few times to figure her out too where it's like you wait for her to jump on the pole and do her big attack then you pop the confetti mm. cannon to knock her down or when she's rolling around doing that incredibly powerful turn into a wheel and kill everyone move the you wheel to, like, move yeah hit her with an element or hit her with one of the cannons to slow her down and like that's that gives you openings and prevents you taking a bunch of damage and i thought that was really good um it's just that the rest of the fight was just like running around trying to just like hit her a bunch of times. Mm -hmm. um, and so it wasn't a constant sort of like choice making thing. It was like you figure out the shape of the fight and execute the choices. And that's cool. And again, this is it's worth noting that's way more fun and interesting than most other similar games in the genre. Like you yes. were saying, the genre does not yeah. ever really do it for me. The, I almost didn't buy the games. It didn't have multiplayer. And it's like the only reason I like Dynasty Warriors is to be like, oh, me and two of my friends are going to kill 6,000 yellow turban soldiers. Oh, that would make this game so much better. Yeah. No, these games are so the Muso games are only fun to me in multiplayer. This is the first one that I've been like invested in that isn't multiplayer. They got to do some sort of update where you can go multiplayer. You think that so. would be so much fun. Yeah. Although I do respect Atlas's commitment to like we made one player games. That's what yeah. we do. Um, and in a world where no one seems to have made that commitment except for them and like from software and even from software mm -hmm. kind of has broken that promise. Mm -hmm. I respect it, but totally this game just feels like it's like screaming for like couch co-op or like online multiplayer. So, so super hard. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, like that boss fight is fun. It's just, it's so frustrating. Also, like when you fight guys who are like personas with powers, that's kind of fun. But in the first dungeon, there's so many fights that are just like, we're a bunch of literally faceless generic cops. And it was just like, okay, like I'm going to spend three minutes just pressing square a bunch of times and I'm going to get like 10 XP and 500 yen and then like move on. Right. Uh, and that mm -hmm. just like is so tedious to me. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like, yeah, it's just the to me, it really is like they do translate a pretty good like one to one. Like what would the experience of this fight in Persona 5 be like in a Muso game? And it's just like to a certain extent, the Muso game is just never going to like fully pull you in. For me personally, though, they just keep on adding elements like using your spells and leveling up your personas and 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 just the story and the vibe. It just keeps pulling me through it. And and to have it on the switch still is just like so sweet. You're playing on switch, too, right? I'm playing on the PlayStation 5, actually. Wow. Wow. I I would have loved to see what your experience would have been like in the handheld on the switch, because there is something to that where it's like it feels like a really big game when it's on the switch yeah. well, and, I like and it. it feels like a meteor game almost in that context. Yeah. I like it on the PS five actually a lot because it probably looks good. It looks great. We got, we got the new TV. And so like the colors really super pop. And because I love that art style and the visuals of those games so much, like I wanted to, 
to maximize them as much as possible. Totally. Um, and like it, it does like, it looks super sweet. All of the, the fully animated cutscenes look great. Also great that this game has more fully animated cutscenes than persona five. Like, yes, or at least like, the, I don't know if it has total more, but they certainly come at a much faster rate. Yeah. Um, and that's really fun. And so like it, it, it's, I think you, you really hit the nail on the head. It's like it's it's taking a genre that I do not like and never have that much fun with and doing so many good sort of side elements of that that mm-hmm. it makes me want to keep doing it anyways. My one other complaint, though, is that at least so far, it doesn't feel like the social game is there in the way that it is in the other ones. That's such a good point. Yeah. And, it, and it's like, can you even call it a persona game without that? I mean, they, they do like a little bit to to give you some, some of it, like, you know, um, I pop pretty hard when you like talk to Ryuji in Sendai and he's like, I bought this cool keychain. Do you want half of it? You can have it. And then you get like a cool item. They give you items, but like you don't get to spend time with them. Yeah. You don't really occasionally they do like cutscenes, but all that does is build up your general bond experience. Like you don't get the specific mm-hmm. bonds thing. You don't have like the, the Arcana tracker thing. Um, and yeah, you don't have the social link stuff. And I think you're right that that's like, that's so deeply part of the persona game because like, like it's, it's almost like the same as the bosses in a certain way where like Mm -hmm. you have to make the right choices or the best choices. And in persona four, persona five, that becomes like, do I go to the baths? Do I go study for school? Like, how do I spend Mm -hmm. my limited amount of social time to like maximize my character? And in this game, you don't really have to make that choice ever. You just kind of like run around. And and so like the, the way that it, it doesn't not exist in the game. It's just like they replace it with this weird thing where it's like, yeah, they have the general bond system, but then also like when you use different characters in combat, they like grow new main skills similar to like how you would slowly unlock them if you like hung out with them in Persona 5. Um, and so like you will eventually lock like five or six different moves on each of the characters. And the game also, I think, is setting up each dungeon to have very specific elements in it so that you will want to rotate in the entire crew. It's not a game where you play with just like your favorite three the entire time yeah. uh, based on personality. And I think that's like a smart way of kind of doing it, even though I do miss the social element. It's like, well, you don't have the social element, but you will need to like use and spend time with all of the characters. Like none of them are arbitrary. And the more you spend on them, the more powerful they more, more, the more time you spend with them, the more powerful they grow. But yeah, like at the end of the day, that's like literally dungeons are only half of the reason you play persona. Yeah, they are. And even, well, first before I get into my points of the dungeons, the, with the fighting thing, this is just a me problem, but it's like they all have distinct fighting styles, which is very good. The problem is that Joker is like definitely my favorite fighting style out of all of them. Mm-hmm. And so like I'm leveling everyone else's like use them enough points super slowly because it's like they're not that fun to use. Like I don't I don't I, I don't know. I really like turning into Morgana's car and just driving through people is really funny. Uh, yeah, that's that one's pretty cool. I mean, there's some fun ones in the mix Makoto for sure. gets on her motorcycle and it's like, hell yeah. My big problem is like, you know me, I'm not a fighting combo guy. Yeah. So every time I switch to another character, I'm like, no idea how this character works. Yeah. Like no idea 
just kind of spamming the buttons right now. And some of the fucking combo chains are so long. Like some of them are like square, square, triangle, triangle, square, triangle, square, square, triangle. And it's like, my my dudes, like I'm not. Yeah. What are we doing? I'm not going to do that. And, you know, it really makes me think of the way that Final Fantasy VII remake like really, really walked this line perfectly because every character that you could play with in your party was mechanically different, but you weren't like totally for it was simple enough. And it, there was like a core logic to each character that you wouldn't forget. Whereas when we switch between eight characters in this game, you're like, I don't remember the combos between all these different characters and like how to utilize them at the fullest. Um, it does. It's it's a little too button combo. Yeah. And you got so many more. You got to do a lot more designing of what the characters were like in Final Fantasy VII. Like you could pick their materia and like yeah. pick what they were good at and, and build them that way. And they kind of come fully formed in Persona 5 and you just kind of make them more the thing they are, which is mm-hmm. fine and makes sense if you're juggling eight characters. It makes sense for this kind of game. But it does, like you're saying, make it so you really have to learn eight different guys and you don't get the choice to to finagle them into the shape that you want. Um, and then mm-hmm. speaking of shapes, my issue with the dungeons, and this is another just like this muso structure, like more streamlined version of the game. One of the really fun things about Persona 5 was doing a palace and then getting to like a safe room and looking at your stats and being like, do I have the juice to make it to another safe room before the end of this day? Um, or do I have to just like, bail here and like working your way through the palace and, and negotiating how much time you're going to spend in the palace versus how much time you're going to go to mementos versus like how much time resor- you're going to resource management the dungeons yeah, yeah. resource and time management stuff and you don't get that in quite the same way there's still like item management stuff which is good think like that's that's fairly challenging but like you don't get the thing where it's like there's always these fun moments where like well everyone's at half health and a third of sp i'm low on items but could i get to one more safe rooms that I like know I can reach the end next time and it's like yeah. you don't have to make that choice ever and that kind of sucks because I love those like I need to walk away from this game for five minutes smoke a cigarette and really think about what I'm about to do and you don't really get mm-hmm. you don't really have that in strikers and that's like a loss to me and I think the I think the, the yeah the problem with that is because you the days don't change right like basically the rhythm of the dungeons is you keep going um, until you run out of mana and once you run out of mana you're basically done and then you just load out of the dungeon and then load back in with full mana again and yeah. so you're not worried at all about like the days going ahead and like running out of time to finish the dungeon and it's really just like oh i'm out of mana time to like load in load out for like three minutes which just kind of like stops the gameplay and like isn't doesn't like give you any interesting choices like because like there's this really fucking annoying thing where it's like oh i'm out of mana and then it like loads me back into the real world and i'm like standing in the coffee shop that we've been hanging out in for you know the last game and i'm like oh there's nothing to do in the real world i guess i have to just walk right back up the stairs and go back into the dungeon and it was just like this doesn't make sense as like a loop as a core loop of the game it just seems like really overwrought for what is effectively reset at the checkpoint right like yeah it just feels like you should be able to go to the checkpoint like press x to rest rest the checkpoint and just go from there because that's all you're doing really i guess i guess you're also like can buy items and shit but like you could just add that all into the check like it shouldn't be the checkpoint option shouldn't be leave the dungeon it should just be take a break or whatever and then you don't have to leave and have that whole thing happen because you're right like it really does derail the fucking 
the excitement of the game because it it mm-hmm. you you lose your momentum totally when you like pop up in the coffee shop for some reason just have to turn around and press circle reload the talking to everyone's screen hit the yeah. button zap back in go find your checkpoint zap over there and just reset it yeah. like it's a real weird thing and it doesn't it doesn't feel as fluid and that's that's one of the things with this game is that even though persona 5 has a million things going on at once all the time as far as like choices you can make it feels really fluid and every sort of design choice and and the way things interact makes a lot of sense and in this game it's like it's streamlined but it doesn't feel quite as like one thing leads to another leads to another in the in the same with quite the same efficiency as, as persona 5 which is bummer but Overall, I like I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it more than I thought I would enjoy mm-hmm. the Persona 5 I mean, music. When game. you hear the music and the art and you're back with your friends that you spent 200 hours with, maybe more if you played Royal too. Yeah. like it's it all still clicks and makes and it's like I'm going to play this whole game probably unless it gets like really, really tiresome towards the end. Yeah. And your friends also sound like the way your friends should have sounded in the first game. Like everyone's personality is way more distinct. They all have lines that make sense. And so it's like mm-hmm. it the, the cutscenes all feel better. So like there's that it, it ends up. I don't know. Like you're saying, it's there's ju- there's enough cool persona world stuff in that game that's going to keep me hooked probably to the end of the game. But mm-hmm. it's just like, oh, I just wish it was like a turn based RPG. But if you haven't played Persona 5, you will have no idea who these characters are because the game does no work to tell you. So it, it is like so crucial in terms of just like being invested in the characters to play the first game. Yeah, I'm 50 50. I think the game does do a good job of sort of hitting their archetypes so you can kind of be like oh this is their deal anime trope yeah yeah but it, you are right that like the first quest for instance like Anne's whole relationship to Alice and like everything she talks about with Alice is like it wouldn't make any sense if you haven't played the first game yeah like you could put together like oh Anne was bullied for like sexism reasons or whatever mm-hmm. but it just it all starts to become like a lot less meaningful and a lot more just like vague if you like haven't played the those games um but Guys, I still, in a weird way, I I am enjoying it. So I'm going to keep on playing it until I'll tell you in a week or two that I am bored of it. Hell yeah, um, the Griffin right. Davis classic. <laughs> we got to talk about fucking. We got we're shutting them down. NFTs, no more NFTs. I'm saying it, no more. Yeah, I have not been following this super closely, aside from uh, Rory talking about how it's stupid and NBA Top Shot, but it seems like it sucks. I just. <sighs> It's like whenever anyone tries to talk about like crypto or anything like that, I'm like, can we just like never do this? Can we just never have to do this and let these types of people like create some sort of new world? Like the worst types of people creating the new world. I saw an incredible tweet that really encapsulates why this shit sucks so bad, which is John Hendren posted a tweet that was like, yeah, sure. The computers I'm using for to create this stuff uh, use as much power as 400 Ford F-150s idling in a parking lot. But at least I get this non-fungible clip of a basketball guy dunking. Um, mm-hmm. And then yeah. someone replied to him and was like, you've miscalculated. Actually, it's 126 Ford F-150s idling in a parking lot. And it's like, that's not the persuasive argument you think it is. Like... <laughs> Yeah. You, so ugh, basically, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm, unless you are like are that one uh, t- like Team Rocket from that one Pokemon game that wanted everything to be water. <laughs> you know, you remember how there was like Team Land and Team Ocean yeah. and like Team Ocean wanted to just melt everything and just have it be Team Water permanently. Yeah. And the <laughs> other team hilariously that wanted everything to be land. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. They're like, hmm, well, we are already like 98% water, so we don't need any more of that. That's um, true. Yeah, so like basically if for any people who have not um, logged on, had not Googled or, or ruined your life trying to figure out what NFTs are, like a very simple breakdown is it's crypto garbage. It's basically an exclusive screenshot of a JPEG uh, that, you know, uses the entire like electricity of like Arkansas, like in a, in a, in like an hour, um, to basically run a bunch of servers that like mint it permanently in the internet sphere as an exclusive to you. Um, it seems pretty fucking useless and ultimately seems just like some new uh, like dark web money laundering thing. In, in, as a, even if a few of the transactions that have gone famous and public seem to be not money laundering it's like what is this but that yeah i mean it's it's collection economy stuff that's part of why it's so deeply strange to me is that it's like there's no meaningful distinction between nfts and say baseball cards or mm-hmm. as our friend rory blank uh is very into well, baseball in, cards exist right well i'll, I'll get that or as my friend rory <laughs> likes to talk about uh like pogs or something right the only difference mm-hmm. is that you actually have baseball cards you can actually play pogs but the value comes from like rarity and collecting and ownership and they're just doing that but in like a a deeply environmentally destructive way b you don't even get to have a thing and so its value is literally only defined by a bunch of people agreeing i too want this thing for no reason <laughs> Um, and so it's a very dumb thing. It's stupid with crypto art. It's stupid with NBA Top Shot, even though I like basketball clips. It's stupid with every version of this. I think Taco Bell's making one like every version is dumb. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's like the, Biden's like climate advisor came out last week saying that like by like the 2040s, we're going to be experiencing like the greatest mass extinction events like that could collapse the world. And these guys are like, what if 2030? <laughs> yeah, they're really like they heard that one Buster Rhymes album, the uh, mass extinction event. And they were like, this slaps. Let's get there as quick as we can. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. Well, it's wild that like there's no again, there's just there's there's no you could have the same obsession with just like a Stan Musial baseball card or whatever. Like there's no reason it has to be this digital object. And so it's this mm-hmm. weird. It's just these dudes who like. It's it's and I, I say dudes because it's um it's uh, it's mostly dudes um uh who believe in like the sort of the internet is totally free and it's free of sort of all of the sort of cultural and social like social anchors of like meaning and value that we all deal with all the time, but it's not it's obviously not nothing is it's crazy to think that mm-hmm. that's that's weirdo thoughts but like mm-hmm. that's like they're obsessed with that idea of like oh we have this unregulated market of free of free magical stuff that we get to like have and it's great and it's sort of it's it's just like bitcoin right it's like we get to have this unregulated thing that we're asserting the value of and everyone agrees to believe it um but it doesn't mean anything it's a made up thing i mean so is money but at least money is accepted broadly enough that like it's works <laughs> yeah it's just like this seems to be like people are like oh there's like no real libertarian party in this country and i'm like 
crypto is that like it's these freak sickos that are like that are like that do actually affect the way our like cultures and economies are starting to work i mean i i can't i can't think of anything like more like more libertarian than like a removed uh you know currency that is that is like confusing arbitrary and only understood by a few and and it's unregulated and totally unregulated especially yeah completely unregulated too so it's just like i don't know like why anyone would want this but it seems like there's this like continuing sort of like contingent of people that you know they're the guys that like you know love elon musk they're the guys that are like super that think that andrew yang is poggers like like they're like there's this collection of individuals that like it seems it seems like apolitical and more like weirdly like it's like spiritually individualist in the in a very gross and evil way right well it's these guys it, they these guys like hate regulation they hate the idea that like they are sorry it's not even a hate thing they love the idea that actually there's a, a it's like they want rapture. They yeah. want rapture. They want to build the underwater city of rapture. Right. Like they these want- are the, what are the, the splicers? That's yeah. what I'm calling them. I'm calling anyone who's into crypto a splicer from now on. That's fair. Well, it's like John Hodgman talks about this in his podcast. And it's like the thing that keeps coming up in my head whenever people talk about NFTs that like, there's a pattern with dads on the John Hodgman podcast on Judge John Hodgman, where they see a system that works, that everyone's like, this is fine. It works for everyone. And they go, eh, but what if I could think of a better version that everyone's going to like more? And it never is better. It's only specific to their weird way of thinking about the world. And these are those people. Like, there are two ideas that like guide these people are, A, we can make up a better system than the one that's worked for hundreds of years. B, we should repeal age of consent laws because um, mm-hmm. they hate yes. the age of consent. These guys, um, mm-hmm. but like it's it, neither of those, like obviously don't repeal age of consent laws. They're important. And also like regulated monetary business practice. Like it, it's not like capitalism is bad, but regulating the economy is good. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's not. Yeah. They they aren't they're not they're uh, they just don't have there's no real like you said I think you said made a good point it, it's like the spiritual individualism that has no real guiding principle of like best outcomes right that mm. like individualism is the means is the end unto itself in a way that is like gross and weird. <laughs> I'm going to find the Dogecoin lighthouse and on the wall, it's going to say like no gods, no kings, also no consent. Yeah. No age. Um, <laughs> no, no age of consent. Yeah. It's going to say, it's going to say God is a fiction. Kings are a disaster. Age is just a number. Um, and everyone. Your link is PogChamp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it really is like, it's, it's an unbelievably bizarre thing that's i mean again i do i mean we talk about this a lot but i just think that like fucking quarantine has just broken everyone's brains in terms of like relating to the world materially like so Mm. much of people's lives now is just digital shit like it's like everyone only sees their friends on zoom all of our work is done through google hangouts like everything i don't think that this is a i don't think this is like a socially unanimous thing i think this is like a news story that a bunch of like rich freaks are doing right i I don't know like all of our friends and family aren't like i'm getting nfts this isn't GameStop stock it's um it's just like oh god like what are these freaks doing now well i think these super rich online freaks are especially susceptible to like the dematerialization of like quarantine life like i think Mm. like ideas like nfts 
existed before now, but like it became now it's like a time where that's one of the easiest ways for corporations to access people is to do things like NBA Top Shot. Now Mm -hmm. there's like a new hobby for these people where they don't have to buy. They don't like they can't show off their cool cars or cool boats or nice clothes or sweet kicks in public because you can't go in public or else you die of air sickness. But mm-hmm. like you can collect NFTs and and sort of flex that way. Um, and I think that these people are particularly susceptible to that. Like, I think there's a broader version of that that is quarantine for everyone. And then there's, this is like people who are very susceptible to that manifesting it in a really bizarre way. So NFTs are basically it's it's basically like an online deed that says that you will own the image. So is there is there a way is there like some world where, you know, I post a picture and then I can get like sued for like like not actually having the ownership to that fucking PNG file? No, because I don't think you're actually as far as I understand it. And I'm not like a lawyer and expert on this shit. But as far as I understand it, you're not actually buying the image. You're buying the serial code associated with the version of the image that you have. Yeah, so exactly. it's not like you can't like if say there's an NFT of like that picture of Donald Trump playing tennis where his butt looks real big and he looks like he's going to throw up mm-hmm. like you and I can still post that because that image is fine. But the NFT that someone has has a unique serial number and that's why it matters. Right. No, that's why it's stupid. <laughs> right. Like, that's why like, it matters to them. That's also why it's stupid. But like theoretically, that's why it would matter. Now, I'm all for, uh, you know, rich people, I guess, like maybe. Well, I don't know. It's just like, well, if it's just the, if it was just rich people like setting their money on fire, that'd be one thing. But I think it is like the the weird ownership stuff and also just the yeah, like just the pure power of these Bitcoin farm computer uh, places. Yeah. And just, yeah, like the economic impact is pretty insane. Um, but I saw this story about sort of the next level of like what is happening to NFTs in the video game world. Uh-oh. Um, apparently a bunch of video game artists have been having their work, uh, stolen and turned into NFTs that they were unaware of. Um, and there's not really much you can do about it. Yeah, I mean, I imagine there's not like it's this is the thing, right? It's so one classic thing about laws, right, is that we don't make laws about things that people aren't doing, right? Like if people weren't murdering each other, it wouldn't be legal to murder people, but they do murder each other. So it is. But that also means that laws don't exist about things that haven't like that don't exist yet. So what happens is NFTs appear out of nowhere. Everyone's like, we don't know what these are. They start doing things that are clearly illegal. And they're like, well, there's no law against it. And it's like, well, of course not. This was just invented like, you know, a week ago. Like, of course, mm-hmm. people haven't made legislation about it. But like, you know, like you have to be aware that you're still doing intellectual property theft. You're still doing sort of like market manipulation things. There's just no specific law against it because the thing is so new. But they mm-hmm. these are the same people who conflate legalism and moralism. So they're like, no, if there's no law, then it's like there's nothing wrong with it. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's like, yeah, there's something very wrong with it for the same reason. All the other things are illegal. Um mm-hmm. and there's no law to there's no law against me selling my bathwater yet. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, once once people get a look at that, once people audit those fucking profits, <laughs> there will be. Let me tell you, uh, once people look at how those books are cooked. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, th- I think that's what this is. Right. It's like them saying, look, there's no law against it. That means it's fine to do it. And you're right. There's no real recourse for video game artists who are having their shit stolen that way. But like that doesn't 
just because there's no recourse doesn't mean it's not wrong. It just means it's not we haven't built that recourse in the legal system yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I'm I'm just glad that, you know, artists are finally getting what they deserve. They're finally getting the karma. The <laughs> I'm Yeah. Uh, These fucking just, video game artists who are underpaid and forced to mega crunch every fucking six months are finally getting the punishment they deserve yeah. from dudes from dudes <laughs> who own 70 computers. <laughs> um damn, dude. Uh so I started playing Kingdom Hearts again. Yeah, I want to talk to you about this. How? Which one? How? What's going on? Uh, I started with the first one, and I've been playing it on stream, and it's been really, really, it's been magical. Um, you know, there's some things that are rough around the edges with the game, but it is still like such a fucking work of art, such a top three video game for me. Um, and uh, it's been incredible because when I played on stream now. A bunch of people are Kingdom Hearts fans, too. So it's like it feels like I'm just like weaving out with like a bunch of people like in every single moment, which is very funny. But then there's also the contingent of people that are like, this is stupid. This is ridiculous. And every minute they're being slowly won over. And I love seeing people go from like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen to being like, OK, this kind of rocks. Yeah, that rules that that, that definitely rules. And also it a lot of what is ha- like. <laughs> A lot of you streaming has made me think about a lot of my like quarantine theories and how this is like a really good example of like all of them at once. Um, Because for one, you know, my pervasive thing about like in quarantine, we're all kind of slowly reverting back to things that we liked when we were younger that like are comforting early things in various ways. Like I've been reading Mm -hmm. an unbelievable quantity of fantasy and horror novels during quarantine Mm -hmm. Um, because that's what I did when I was like a teen. And like now you're playing Kingdom Hearts, like the classic sort of young Griffin game. Um, and the question is sort of like, who am I? And and we're, and we're seeking that out slowly. Yeah, yeah, like without the rest of the world to define me, what do I do? And it turns out that I read nerd books and you play Kingdom Hearts. And like, that's just <laughs> what it is. And then also there's this other thing where I keep thinking and I keep seeing patterns of this. And I don't know whether it's just like me being too online and just like doing the thing where like the QAnon thing where you like make patterns out of disconnected events or whatever. Do but your like, research. Um, but yeah, fair. But um, I like so many people have been posting about Kingdom Hearts the past two weeks. Like it's been weirdly in the zeitgeist, or at least like my part of the internet. Like I woke yeah. up this morning and saw three different basketball people I follow like in a thread where one of them had bought a Keyblade and the other two were like, where do I get a Keyblade? I want to have one. Kingdom Hearts is the most important thing in the world to me. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it, exactly. I feel like I'm getting I feel like I'm getting earlier and earlier into the zeitgeist. Like I, I can I'm almost like projecting out like three weeks before I, I can see it ha- like th- three weeks ahead of me now. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because you like, yeah, you started streaming and that was like the beginning of oh, aside from Forest's Kingdom Hearts podcast, which Forest seeing the future feels accurate. Just we. And I will be having Forrest on the stream to give color commentary as I play. Good. I think he would be incredible at that because there's no living person who knows more about Kingdom Hearts than our friend Forrest Walker. I think even including the people who made Kingdom Hearts. Um, But yeah, like there's aside from that, like you start you told me you were streaming it again like a week ish ago. Um, and then I've seen 55 it, things talking about Kingdom Hearts. And it's this weird thing where like it's suddenly like a thing people give a shit about right now. And, I, and I'll tell you one of the main reasons why is because in three or four weeks, it, the entire package comes out on PC. Oh, really? That's the that's yeah. the reheat. So they are releasing. Yeah, the all, all three Kingdom Hearts is for P- PC, which is actually pretty fucking cool. That is pretty fucking cool. Um, I mean, it does I don't feel need like to a- rebuy it again, but it's cool. And I think I think that's a reason why it's like back on people's brains. 
that, that that makes sense and also like it just feels very streamy like it feels like a very streamable game like it has a lot of yes. imagery for people to latch on to it's pretty action-packed the cutscenes mm-hmm. are fun it's not super confusing yeah well, when it, I it is super game confusing on shoot it but the first one is not confusing actually the first one is like really straightforward and that's like one of its strengths yeah it has mysteries but it's very you're not confused contextually right um but like i mean when i look for a game to stream especially like stuff that's not battle royales like this like the single player games are really tough to stream so you really have to find something with like a really engaging and surprising premise like that's why bug snacks worked so well on, on my stream and that's why kingdom hearts is is also like doing like great numbers and lots of interaction right now is because it's it is just jaw dropping to just see what's going on in the game it's yeah. just so bizarre um but it's matched with this this tone that's like really, really emotional and this music. Um, and there is something still like undeniable about the franchise. Um, that's really fucking cool. Yeah, I think so. And then I think one other thing about it is like, whether you've played kingdom hearts or not, you have some awareness of kingdom hearts, whether it's like, Oh, a bunch of my friends like it or, Oh, my friends keep telling me this is the weirdest, stupidest game in the world. Or Mm -hmm. I've heard that there's a square Enix Disney crossover. That's so weird. And so mm-hmm. there's anyone like no one isn't a little Kingdom Hearts curious in some way or another. Totally. Um, and I think that really draws people in for the stream. And I think it speaks to what's well, both good and bad about those games because um, mm-hmm. they're fundamentally, whether you like them or not, aesthetically speaking, deeply puzzling games. <laughs> like <laughs> it's very weird series of choices. I mean, like some of them are yeah. good to the right bad. But like I think that does make for a, a very streamable game and be the kind of game that I think. It makes sense that people would latch on to when like they're just spending a lot of time playing games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, I, and I just like uh, my big takeaway less about like what's good for streams and audiences and like what's good about Kingdom Hearts is like the more and more I think about it, Kingdom Hearts was so important to me as a gamer because it was the first game that told me that video games could be emotional. Yeah. Like up until that point, you know, I'd played your Pokemons, your Mario's, like, you know, like stuff that was adventurous and fun, but Kingdom Hearts was the first game that was emo. Yeah. I mean, um, it was, it was like, it was like Kanye West coming to rap and doing 808s and heartbreaks. Like it was, it was, um, it was this moment where I was like, oh my God, like I can like feel like this with a video game and, and, and like those feels and those emotions largely are because of you know the anime influences the disney influences but then also just man that music yeah that music is one of the best soundtracks i've ever heard and it pulled me all right back to when i was like 10 years old playing for the first time uh and yeah it's uh it's i i'm struggling to think of like a game that i like more yeah i mean for (laughs) sure i mean it's it's but it's but well the game I think it's something important, which is like the first game that teaches you that games can make you emotional, like is going to stick forever. Like for me, that's Psychonauts. Like Mm -hmm. I will never not love Psychonauts because it was obviously like sense of humor and style was very in my zone at the time. But also it has like a sad moving story attached to it that was like affecting. And I think Mm -hmm. that you're right that like the first game that hits you that way, like is like an important defining moment. And I do have to say, um, last week we talked about Kingdom Hearts having like an outsized influence on games and I gave you shit for it, but I've been thinking about it more. And I think that that has, that claim has more juice than I gave it credit for last week. Um, and here's what I mean. 
uh, I think I'm not positive about this. I haven't done the research, but I think it was, if not the first one of the very first, um, if not the very first one of the first games uh, to take the anime, the, the JRPG sort of visual style and tone, but use sort of the more classic Western action RPG mechanics. And that's become like pretty normal now, um, mm-hmm. wh- whether I like it or not, I don't. Um, but like that's become a thing like that's the later Final Fantasies, a lot of like a lot of other later like JRPG releases just generally like we see a lot more of it's a game where it's party management, it's item management, it's resource management. But the fighting isn't turn based time stuff. It's combos and jumping around and, and action stuff. And I think that is for better or worse, like a big part of both how sort of Japanese games have been sold back to the West in a way that like is accessible totally. to Western audiences. And like a big part of what modern game design looks like is integrating that. Like we're starting to see a lot fewer JRPGs in the style that I like, which is your classic, super complicated turn-based stuff and a lot more Kingdom Hearts adjacent ones. And I think... And I'm seeing Mickey Mouse everywhere. Yeah, well, I'm there's seeing him too. in every game. And he fucks. Yeah. Um, right. Well, yeah, Mickey, guys, Mouse hey, would be, Mickey Mouse would be nothing without Kingdom Hearts. I think we can all agree. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like it's like 2003 in like an alternate reality without Kingdom Hearts and they're closing Disneyland. Yeah, it's like putting, yeah, the, they put up the big fucking wooden bar that just says close in red paint, like right in front of California Adventure. Walt Disney's ghost is just like shaking his head and saying a slur as he like slinks off into the sunset. <laughs> It's the Superman is dead arc, but with Tetsu Nomura. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think we're everything is coming up. Kingdom Hearts and there's a lot of DNA in the future. And it's just too bad that Kingdom Hearts 3 is total trash. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, on the way out, is there, something, is there anything gamer related you have to say? Because I did want to ask you. I do, have a ga- I do have a gamer thing. <laughs> Please. All right. Do your thing. Um, I just want to tell you about this. I got this, one of the strangest glitches I've ever had in a game happen to me recently. I just want to tell you about it. Which one? Um, I was playing Madden because uh, I got Madden for the PS5. Just like to see how the how the game lit, like to see how the graphics are. And like, you I'm know, already asleep. <laughs> You'll enjoy this. Madden. I was playing like the RPG, like you make your own guy and, and go through the games mode. And I had a game that was Washington versus Dallas and I loaded it and it became Washington versus Washington. And they had all the same players as my team on both sides, except they set the game in Dallas. All the fans were wearing Washington jerseys, but would get super mad if I scored a touchdown because they were supposed to be the bad guy Dallas fans. And the game is a thing where like you have to hit certain goals of stats to win or like to get you know, X amount of XP or whatever. And because it had my made up player on both sides, it totaled the combined stats of both versions of my dude. So I just exploded through all of the stat, like stat check marks. Cause every time he did anything, I got points. Like it was like, it ended up, the game was like, you've thrown for 700 yards and 12 touchdowns or whatever. And I was like, no, I fucking <laughs> didn't. And it's like, it's Madden. It's 2021. How is this? Also, how is this happening? Also, you you guys have one job: copy paste the game from last year into a new folder and reprint it. Like like that's all they have to do. Like they, it's like it's one of the, the the least amount of work in video game industries are these sports games. Like you just like maybe turn the sweat graphics up a little bit. Like everything else is the same. Yeah, and it's like how did this was? Like, it was so crazy, and it just kept feeling weirder and weirder because it was just like. <laughs> 
like it's all the same guys and then it cuts to the fans and they're all booing but they're wearing my team's jerseys and then it's like my guy has 600 yards but I've only had the ball four times and it's like maybe you were playing on like nightmare mode or something <laughs> yeah I was yeah I was playing in like, yeah I got it's, I was playing the sort of of the persona of uh, I was in the palace of Madden 2021. You listen, sports games are the past. Kingdom Hearts is the future. Um, okay, there's something, Lux. I don't know if I'm going to get to talk to you until next week. So I had to ask you, have you seen the lady in the box? Mm-hmm. I'm talking, of course, about fascist Janine Añez in Bolivia. No, I have not. <laughs> Oh, my God. Okay. I've been focused on domestic (laughs) politics stuff. Please tell me about this woman in a box. So basically, um, she was the uh, the U.S. uh, helped back a coup in Bolivia against uh, Evo Morales. And this sort of fascist lady, Janine Añez, uh, took over Bolivia uh, and like tried to take over the military. Uh, Now she has been captured and has been hiding in a box. Holy Um, moly. I sent you a link to it right now. uh, Love to see this happen to fascists. Put them all in a box. If you ask so me. awesome. It is so fucking funny. Oh, the best, the best part of this tweet is the part that she had failed to leave in time. So apparently she was mm-hmm. trying to flee to Brazil and was just like, I'll hide out in this box till I can make my escape. Like yeah. this is where I'll bide my time. No, I think she literally was like, oh, she had fucked up and she knew they were like outside or something and she like got in the fucking box. But also I'm like, this is like a cool box. It's a good, it's a good like Metal Gear Solid type box for sure. What is, I'm like, I'm like, okay, like let's start with the gamer wall, but then maybe some kind of gamer box too when, when you get doxxed by your stream or something. Right, a a, a place where you can hide out while your war zone buddies are mad at you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's crazy. That's I can't believe I missed this box. I knew Janine Anya's, but I did not know anything about this box. <laughs> I'm very I'm just very happy that she's in a box. I'd like to put so many people in that box. Yeah, no, for sure. I've always been a proponent of getting rid of jails, but keeping buckets for like like huge buckets <laughs> for people who like really deserve it. Uh, <laughs> and this feels like sort of in the same ballpark. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I respect I've it. Been, I've been orbiting around uh, some sort of like sea jail under the ocean, sort of like where they keep the Titans and Hercules. Yeah. A very selective one for like your <laughs> very selective yeah, yeah, for like yeah. your Peter Teals and whatnot. A hundred percent. Peter Teals yeah, number exactly. one on my list of people I want to put in a 30 foot bucket. Um, and that's just the way it is. <laughs> 30 foot bucket. Yeah. Can't get out. Sully fills with water. I'm trying. I'm trying to think of what a thirty foot bucket looks like. <laughs> it's a big bucket, man. A big old bucket. Oh, all right, that's gonna do it for us, the guys. That was the show. It is. That was a good show. Um, you got anything, Lux? Uh, we're filming uh next the next guide and episode today, which means it's coming out by the end of the month. So stay tuned for that. And uh, that's about it for me. Yeah. As for me, uh, twitch.tv slash Choomroom weeknights at 5 p.m. Pacific. I've started to get uh, really big raids from actually reputable leftists. And so I'm nervous. Watch me fail. Uh, I think you're going to do great. Um, all right. Well, goodbye, everyone. Oh, and make sure to check out Haley on Eat, at Eat Every Sound on Instagram and YouTube and on the Memory Static Podcast. And now for real. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs>